I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know, but have you seen Mr Yum Split and Pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. Really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr Yum Split and Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum's Split and Pay is the better way to pay, and it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Now, Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now, Architects Eat believe in finding new solutions to the everyday and is run by a talented team of passionate, considerate and detail-oriented architects and interior designers. They believe in great design is here for the long haul, not just a fad, and aim to tirelessly find new and creative ways to push design boundaries. So I feel really fortunate to speak with Director of Architects Eat, Ed Go. Hey Ed, how are you? Good. Very well, thanks Sean. Uh, thanks for the invite uh, to this uh, podcast. Uh, a quick rundown on... Uh our practice, Architects Eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been around for over 20 years. Uh, yeah, so right. we, we, we came straight out of uni, like a couple of guys, a few guys, three of us, um, myself, Albert, uh, and another partner. We set up Architects Eat without knowing what and how to run a practice and not knowing what we're going to do. I guess good thing about that is because sometimes people say, you know, you don't know, it's probably yes. the better. 25 years old, setting up the company, operate out in South, South Yarra and We've been, I guess, going through, the company's gone through different phases. So every five years, there, there's a point of, of evolution or, or pivot. Uh, where, where we're at now, fast forward to 2022, just straight out of the lockdowns in Melbourne. We, we are quite diversified as a practice. So we cover a, a wide range of project typologies, ranging from hospitality, obviously the, the, the talking point in this podcast, Hospitality can be broken down into many, many uh, uh, sectors. Mm-hmm. But we, we normally uh, deal with restaurants, your sort of transient uh, grab-and-go concepts, touching shopping malls. Yep. Uh, and then we, I guess, diversify ourselves in, into workplace, residential, multi-residential. So mm-hmm. a good thing about the practice is that there are 25 of us, uh, a mixture of architects and interior des- designers. So mm-hmm. we can pros- cross-pollinate our expertise and provide a service that's a bit more, uh, I guess, uh, end-to-end and, and all-encompassing. Architecture and interior design is all, all resolved and, and sort of tightly bonded together. So that, that's where we are at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. We're still a very young practice, and um, considering that we're still in our mid-40s and most of our staffs are in their 30s, still plenty more years to come and what I guess our, our objective as a practice is obviously to provide fantastic spaces and, and architecture but I guess is it to serve a goal I guess from a hospitality point of view is to make things work for, for us. Mm. Yeah. 
what got you interested in design and architecture in the first place? Because to sort of come together, the three of you, 20-odd years ago and then design a, you know, an actual practice itself, but what got you interested in architecture in the first place? I guess um, it's creating – you have to love and you need the passion to create. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what both El- myself and Albert have had pre-sort of tertiary days. Architecture sort of landed – I stumbled on architecture because uh, sort of a cross between – fine arts and science yep. in, in architecture itself uh, and design, or say interior design, it, it, it's about everyday life. Mm. It, it, it touches on everything mm-hmm. and it influences and affects people. So I, I felt that, you know, that there was some goodness out of that profession. Yeah. And when you did start 20 years ago, like what part of architecture were you focusing on? Like obviously, you do a lot of hospitality projects now and a lot of other projects. Yeah, but, yeah. but did you start with hospitality or did you start no, with no. other brands? Yeah, not really. We, we, we started as residential architects. Yeah. Uh, so we were doing knockdowns and, and alts and additions. And fortunately uh, enough, in, in all, all sort of business and journeys, it's always good to have people and mentors that you, you stumble upon them. And, and yeah. fortunately... There were a few of them that came along and helped us sort of shape our careers, and indirectly and indirectly. Uh, and somehow I sort of managed to walk along that path of retail and hospitality, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in that shopping center sort of realm. Uh, at one stage, we were doing quite a fair bit of work within shopping centers, and we still do, but we've kind of diversified. But you, you pick up those, those moments and you just take it with you, and then you, um, I guess, refine mm. and you polish up what your passions Albert has taken more of a, a residential sort of pathway. And at times we, we do cross cross path when there are projects that, that involve a multifaceted role in it. Can you remember your first hospitality project? Yeah, that you yeah, did? yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it's um it was for a, a sandwich shop in Geelong. Right. Uh, so it was, it's a you know, fifties, forty square meter uh, food court tenancy in, in Geelong. Yeah, yep. I remember that. Orange in colour and all that, like <laughs> a, uh, I guess it, like anyone would do when you're young, you know. Yeah, you, you, bolder you, colours. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that was my first sort of exposure to hospitality. I probably didn't know what I was doing, uh, to be honest. But, you know, it, I've done, I can easily say I've done hundreds of, of these. It has been a, a very steep learning curve for us because obviously the fact that we came and straight out of uni, we, we, there wasn't an opportunity to work under the wing of a, a senior design lead so we yep. basically learn our trades from the industry right yeah wow yeah. so normally normally generally speaking you will get out of you you come out of uni you work say a few years mm-hmm. and then you're in your 30s and then you you set up your network and then you might partner up or go solo by yourself uh and start the practice then mm-hmm. but th- this is a different path that we took we talk a lot about you know good design obviously with the brands that i work with i know you work with as well like you know flow of how spaces work but what does good design mean to you especially over the last 20 years of how you've been changing your craft and thinking about the hospitality industry what does a good design actually mean to you yeah now? yeah it's a it's a good question because good design can have different sort of um, definition as you as you move across the, the, the spectrum of designers or architects mm-hmm. uh, particularly in, in hospitality where it's a bit more um, intricate the relationship between the the space or the building and the end users, uh, it's very dynamic, can mm. be very complex. Mm. So for us and for myself, there are a few key things. The space or, or the design needs to respond to uh, the guests, the customers that, that come into there and to create a sense of purpose for them. 
you know, like when you design a space, you kind of need to anticipate who's coming here. It's, it's, it's very different when you're in a project and you're designing for a, a couple mm. or family. That's different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So our customers are sort of unknown because we don't know who's coming in. Yeah. Uh, but in, in, in a lot of cases when, when you're, you're working with good clients, there is a, uh, a high level of, of research in uh, what they anticipated. What what are the demographics? Mm-hmm. Who, who's coming here? Yeah, is it the um, the twenty to thirty age gap, or is it thirty to forty, and so forth? Mm-hmm. So I think that's important because that helps you to shape that space. It helps you to shape and create an experience that is tailored for uh, X, Y, and Z. So that's one thing that in in on a high level you need to you need to understand and you need to respect as designers. The customers, the end users that are coming into here. One one other thing, I guess, from good design aspect is that when we start to to craft space, particularly commercial spaces, you need to think about the longevity of that space. Yeah. So if you're in it for, if it's a pop up, you know, you know, we know how to deal with pop ups. If it's if it's a restaurant, and you're catering for a hundred, hundred fifty packs people in there, uh, it's high traffic. So you, as designers, you need to think about what materials you're using. So uh, things that look beautiful might not last forever. Uh, a seat that gets sat upon, it needs to take the brunt. When we pick furnitures, when we pick uh, finishes and materials, you need to think about how that will be maintained. A lot of times, a lot of sp- designs create beautiful spaces. Go back and revisit that after six months. It's been trashed because I guess the process of, of selection and, and thinking and analysing what, what to use, uh, where to use it, needs to be thoroughly thought of. So mm-hmm. uh, th- there are very s- successful sp- spaces that I've seen that have, have lasted that, that uh, longevity. Mm. Uh, it all comes down to um, uh, the communication between the designer and the client. And a lot of times the clients are not, they are not the ones that are managing the space. They've got different tiers underneath. So that, that design, I think good design comes out of that communication between operations, the designer, and building design into their operations manual. So we're, we're, we're currently designing a lounge club in, in Melbourne and our client, he's not going to be the one that's going to be on the floor running around and managing how that space is going to feel like. So the, the, the proof from him is that we need to build, if you want this space to light up the way, a specific way at, at a specific time, you need to build that into the management plan mm. and all that. Um, we can easily deal with that because technology allows us to program, for instance, light and sound. So good design as an indirect sort of, uh, for me, an indirect aspect is communication. And I guess I guess the ultimate sort of uh, the ho- holy grail for me is that customer experience, you need to touch the five senses. So obviously touch, sound, smell, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that needs to, uh, it needs to tick the box. Good design for me in a restaurant one one really important thing is acoustics. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I uh, nothing sort of annoys me when I go into a restaurant, and it's a spectacular restaurant, but I can't hear what guests or my my, my peers. Yeah, it's I- even bit across the table I can't hear that. So good design needs to tick all the boxes mm-hmm. for that. Uh, it's not just all about good looks. I mean that's important, and there's an appeal, and obviously a lot of the the word Instagrammable. That word gets thrown a lot, a lot of times. That that's all part and parcel of how customers and clients communicate with us. Uh, 
that that's you can say that's uh, that word may not last. It's there because they're trying to tell us, I just want this space to be uh, awesome. So yeah, yeah. And, and through the fact that we've got technology, technology allows us to to capture those moments mm. and and to talk about that. I don't, I guess, don't shy away from using the word Instagrammable. It's good that they're actually telling us that they want their space to be beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I guess my last, I guess, aspect of good design is I think every space and business building in the hospitality world needs to have a storyline. Mm. I think that dialogue in needs to be conveyed whether via food or via space or via the service. Mm-hmm. Ideally, all of them tick the box and they come together and, and give you that magical moment. I think the storyline is important in, in, in this, particularly in this day and age where people want more than just good food. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, yeah, they can visit the space, have a good moment. Then again, on a, on a different platform, they can share with their friends that about the storyline. Mm. Yeah, so it's a take, it's a good takeaway from that, and, and particularly the fact that you know we've been. Uh, we haven't been traveling that far away from from our, our country. It, it's the places that we wanted to visit. You know, we we've been shut off. That I, I think people have a bit yearn to yeah. want want to to travel. Agree and and talk about their adventures. And I think if you can build story into food business, mm. I think it's a it's a good way of engaging with your customer. Do you think that storytelling aspect, if you look at the last your twenty years in the industry? Do you think that's become more important? Because obviously I know you do a lot of work internationally as well as uh, in Australia. Um, Have you found that to be more important as more food and beverage venues have come on board and there's more competition for a customer's money? Has that storytelling aspect been more important for design? Yeah, I think that storytelling aspect has become more relevant and more of a need for operators to adopt into their business setup Particularly now, I, I reckon probably, I reckon it, it start that the sort of pivot point started probably about ten years ago. Right. Yeah. Okay. If you if we rewind back to the year two thousand and two, it was quite two dimensional. Mm. I mean, there were a few key players in the industry that that did it really well, mm-hmm. but I think just because good hospitality venues and offerings have become highly accessible to to the mass market, it's made it more competitive and everyone obviously is um, elevating their, their game game plan and I think storytelling is a must for every business I guess uh, apart from delivering good food and good service and, and, and good spatial experience mm-hmm. yeah. and I think particularly for I find that particularly for the millennial sort of uh, age gap they want that uh, I have you know uh, friends and I have even staff here that that uh, have particular sort of allergies or particular I guess specific dietary mm-hmm. uh, preferences they want that to be as transparent as possible so um, they want to know how where you source your produce how you execute that and what are you putting into my food so you can build story around food you can build story a- around space or if it's all encompassing all of that is, is captured in one vessel that that would be you know a success story of how someone could pull off you know good design yeah, yeah for yeah. sure when you obviously you said you know the the longevity part of uh, what you guys do in you know doing venues that are at least there for seven years, ten years, the life of a lease, but then also the pop ups that might be there three months, six months, twelve months. Do you find when you do the pop up sort of concepts, it allows you guys to test and 
test some theories or, or be a bit more bold in, in design and in what you're doing in order to help those brands that you then do for longevity-wise? Yeah, pop, pop-ups are, are like in, uh, basically an experiment. People that do pop-ups, because there's there's monetary-wise, there's there's not a lot of money injected into it because it's only there for three months or six months. People tend to be a bit more brave or experimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have to think about from our point of view, I think pop-ups is a good opportunity to test uh, how how we can execute design. The last thing one is you create a pop-up and then what you've created, you just literally throw that into the bin. So what we tend to do, obviously, is look at the, the viability of the pop-ups being able to move around and to be co- collapse, collapsible or to be recycled mm-hmm. or to be sold away to someone else that can find better use out of that because they're pop-ups there in terms of more of a technical point of view, there is gets a lesson need to be compliant in in terms of building codes, so you can play a bit with that. And yep. I've seen a few a few pop ups recently, which I thought, wow, that's that's really good. I mean, yeah. I, if we could, I guess, in in the big scheme of things, if if we can get everyone to adopt this sort of philosophy and to be a bit more sustainably orientated yep. uh, with with pop ups, I think it could also help with the way we design our permanent shops. Mm. Yeah, permanent shops, whether that could all could have some elements of that pop-up philosophy that you can actually take that away in, you know, yeah. after the seven-year lease. Yeah, yeah, great point. Yeah. I did want to talk about a bit about sustainability and, and that kind of stuff with fit-outs and, and design. Like what, what other aspects are you guys looking at in 2022 that you think are important for hospitality spaces to think about when we talk about architecture and when we talk about design? Yeah, I, I think for us, I think we need sort of need to, uh, in, in this day and age, we need to balance off some of our green initiative or some of our green aspirations mm. versus also at the other end of the spectrum we are trying to achieve good design so i've covered a bit about what good design is supposed to be and and you've seen around town there's some fantastic spaces um and you go wow they spend a lot of money on on that and how can we um in terms of design how can we evolve in a way where we can still achieve the, the maximum outcome but also uh, i guess push towards that the green some of the green initiatives that uh, we think or actually in 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 the industry of there are a few companies a certain percentage of companies that started to uh, adapt to that how can we balance that off because it it hurts step aside from a design it hurts when you look at after the end of a lease a a fit out gets demolished and then thrown away and where does it go it goes back into into the ground as more shops are being set up then you get you've got more sort of um, of these rubbish that that needs to go somewhere in, in our practice, we started looking at, not aggressively, but passively, started looking at how uh, we can, uh, through our design, how we can sort of mitigate. We're in a phase of, of mitigating the this occurrence of built throw, built mm. throw, built throw. It's not sustainable. At mm. the end, it's not sustainable. Mm. Um, so we, we, we started looking at how we can modulize stuff, how we can hang something up. And, and take it off easily mm-hmm. uh, without hacking through through a, a shop. And if you're able to, um, it's a bit like a, a swatch watch. You can change your bands, yeah? From yep. You don't like this band? Put a new band there. Yep. So we're, we're trying to think of how we can adopt that philosophy into into interiors, particularly yeah. for interiors. Yep. It's a bit hard to do for, for, for buildings because, you know, you've got a shell there. You, you, you can, you know, I mean, you can easily take off half a wall and, and build something to it. But interiors, I think it's a bit more easier. Mm. To, to execute in terms just because of the scale of things that so getting back to that swatch watch how how can we still keep the watch but change the look of it yeah sure so if we can if we can 
look at that from a s- starting from baby steps, I guess, small scale. Start to implement these ideas, and it, it, it's about doing more by doing less. At the same time, we can keep this industry a bit more sustainable. End goal for for business operators: you spend less, but obviously, you still need to achieve uh, a, a great outcome. Yeah? yeah, of course. Yeah, what are you finding? Clients are actually asking you more about sustainability and about using the existing fit out a bit more than what they might have been doing five years ago, Ed, or is that not coming through yet? Because I see like from what I'm reading online and that kind of stuff, like Europe is probably starting to talk about it a lot more than what I can see here in Australia, but you seeing it started to flow through? It's from in Australia, it, it's all all driven by cost. Yeah. Right? So sure. if, you, if you have a lease renewal, particularly mm-hmm. in controlled environments like shopping centres, if you have a lease renewal, what generally what happens is they the the centers will force you to revamp refresh yeah it needs to look it needs to look, look uh, new. like new <laughs> yeah new. yeah but at the same time i think i think uh, landlords are, are are very aware and sensitive in this current uh, climate that to do all this renewal costs money it's basically like building a new shop yep. so what what a lot of them have done is communicated that with the tenant and with the designer to try to get to the end, end point but do uh, sort of remedial works that are less intensive, but mainly maybe focus on customer touch points. I think that's important. Uh, I mean, if you've got a space, you need to identify where are your customer touch points, the the retail counter, the food display. I think that's these are the first ones that we need to tackle. Yep. Because ultimately, you are uh, if you're talking in in the realm of, of shopping centers, food courts, or smaller sort of footprint, that's where we tackle first the the customer touch points. Your seat, seating needs to look new. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you spend most of your time, your, your table, without having to sort of um, agitate the, the the bulk of the shell. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I've spoken to a few people about um, how uh, that relationship between landlords and, and tenant, whether they could provide a warm shell where you sort of plug in, plug in. So it just looks sounds like a semi sort of fit out uh, yep. without having to you know go in there, in there and ripping everything apart. I think that's that's a very logical way mm-hmm. and a sustainable way, both from a financial point of view, but also in the ecological perspective. If there are hospitality owners listening to this and they're looking to do another uh, another site and they want to engage with you know someone someone like yourself around architecture, around interior design, what elements do you think make it easier for you to do your job with that client? Is it is it important that they come with a really great brand vision and an identity and storytelling aspect of actually what they want to do? Or yeah. do you do that with them? I think a lot of our clients come in here, they've got something, yeah. Whether whether it's in a in a structured manner or it's all jam packed in their in their head. Yeah. They need, need to sort of spill that out and then be a bit more structured. So we, we we usually come in in that phase where we sort of put the lines and link the dots up. Yeah. Literally link the dots up. Because if you start a business and you've got no a- action plan, no idea what you're doing, then you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I guess. So it's a lot of our clients, um, fortunately, come in. and uh, We have a lot of repeat clients too. And that, yep. that helps with the communication because with some of our clients, I travel with them to look at locally or internationally. We look at different aspects of hosp- hospitality and, and we learn, borrow and, and reference from that. But usually the ones that come to our, our through our door, front door, have have a rough idea and and what like I said what we do is we repackage them uh, mm-hmm. with them a lot of times uh, I guess en- engage with consultants uh, yep. uh, and I'm sure you do mm. a fair bulk of that to team up so it we 
we give them, I guess, uh, I guess a holistic sort of uh, plan of attack, brand story, and uh, and all that, the vision and all that is really important. It sets sets a um, platform for yep. y- for you to launch off into designing of spaces, mm-hmm. designing of menus. Mm-hmm. We don't d- design menus, but it helps graphic designers or um, brand consultants to help start to shape the the, the branding side of things, and it uh, a clear communication about what food you want to do, what sort of customer you want to pull in helps us to plan the restaurant, yeah, yep. plan the kitchen, I guess. The kitchen itself is, is the engine. You know, you, you build a kitchen that's not big enough, a certain capacity, you will not be able to, to, to run that, that restaurant. I say that often. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last question to you, Ed, is like, what, what are you guys excited about this year? Like as we as we come to a, a Victoria and a Melbourne, which is a lot more open, obviously, uh, with you, with your international and your national clients, like... Yeah. What kind of exciting projects are you working on this year you can share? We're working on some stuff with, uh, and I mentioned to you just now, with a well-known ice, ice cream mm. brand uh, mm-hmm. and looking at um, helping them create a uh, so-called visitor centre or a customer experience centre. Yep. We see that as a, um, a voice or a space that helps them to connect with people rather than um, uh, just a, a singular goal of uh, generating revenue. Yep. Yeah. Obviously, yep. they've they've their sales or their avenue of sales uh, goes via a different path. But mm. I think mm. I think it's almost like, uh, hey, I haven't seen you for two years. By the way, we've got this space. Yeah. Come and connect with us. Yeah. And then strategically, uh, because they've got historically they've been there for uh, uh, um, decades, it helps. Uh, and we touched that before about brand story and, yeah. and historical reference. It helps them to connect their story. Mm-hmm. Their family, because it's a family-run uh, business, with the users. Uh, you know, I I've consumed their product products since I was a kid, but I n- never really had a connection with with the brand mm. until they gave me their their storybook, and it made me connect better with with the product and and the family. Yep. So we're work working on that, and we've been working uh working well. We're about to finish in in sort of a underground um basement restaurant slash bar in, in Capital Grand. So it's our mm-hmm. house, one of our several projects that we've been working on. Yep. So that <laughs> that's taken two years. Uh, so wow. uh, obviously from the start of design through all the lockdowns, but we had to turn it off and on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it kind of it kind of needed that time because where we landed now, it's for the better of the good because we are now, we've designed it now to respond to the current climate. Yeah, right. And, and how we see the industry is going to be uh, moving towards in the next few years. Obviously, there will change us as we, 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 we uh, enter into uh, the latter parts of 2022, 23, 24. Uh, and the, as you know, the, the hospitality industry is very volatile. It's seen what we've seen has happened. So that that is a double, two-level um, restaurant bar. Um, so it's got different sort of zones where we've got Bar dining, we've got uh, function rooms in there. Um, we've got an omakase bar in there that, that that caters for a smaller sort of private uh, dining experience. Wow! Um, so that's that's been been in, in the books for two years. <laughs> yeah, it's probably right. the, one of the longest projects that we've done. We we chew through projects in six months, eight months from start to when the keys are handed over to the yep. operators to to uh, to launch the the space. Mm-hmm. We've just finished um, a new student pressing in the uh, 
University of Melbourne. Oh, it's, yeah, it's I've seen a, that. That looks awesome. So it's it's basically a, a cluster of spaces on, on the ground plane at the university where they're building about six, five or six, and repurposing some older buildings in there. Yep. So it's it's been a challenging project, but um, they've started to open open up the, the spaces for students. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we see international students coming back, it, it helps to sort of reinvigorate the, the spaces in there. Yep. Um, it's, it's about time, I guess, mm-hmm. that we need to hospital industry got back on their, on their feet. Mm. Um, apart from that, a lot of other smaller sort of micro brands that yep. we're working on, yep. uh, like an, an ice cream brand and et cetera. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's quite, I can see that people have taken time out for the last two years and search within and, and search <laughs> outside of, of their circle. And, and a lot of people have done their homework and I think they've, um, the good ones have survived. Yeah. Uh, and a, a lot of them have pivot and come up with different, um, I guess, brands or uh, the strategically how they want to position themselves. Uh, so I think it's quite an exciting time uh, for us and mm. for also a lot of the other companies that are in that sort of hospital sort of uh, industry yeah, uh, as, as designers and architects. Yeah. 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 I feel like a lot of, as we said before the podcast, like a lot of, a lot of really good brands are now thinking about their actual stack of different venues that they've got and do they want to do maybe more slightly accessible uh, price point-wise venues. So, you know, a high-level net, high level chef with amazing restaurants at the top end can then do other lower-level uh, small ticket items at the bottom end and actually win all the way through, which is really exciting to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you, and, you, and you know, like, obviously through, through social media and all that, people know what they want now. Yep. I guess they're very well informed by their own sort of uh, exploration through, through, through the internet. Or it's all people have communities where they they share their stories or yep. their experiences. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's good in a way because it helps to elevate the industry. So it pushes designers, it pushes business operators to elevate their um, their offering. Mm. At the end, I talked to a lot of people about this um, artificial intelligence and how tech has started to sort of work itself into into hospitality. Mm. Um, even through even through their their own systems, their tech system, ordering system. Yep. Uh, I think that's that's in in a good way. That's how that that evolves in the future. I think that's that is important because it helps to uh, assist and educate people on choice selection. It builds information there, but it, at the end of the day, it customizes that individual experience as well. So if I walk into a space, I haven't seen. Uh, you know, I'm greeted by someone. They know who I am because your data is built into their their, their system. Mm. So I think that's really important uh, for for hospital uh, and also retail. I guess it's can it's more applicable in retail. Yes, and I guess uh, the other touch point is I dwell a bit in, in 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 metaverse, and I'm seeing how the possibilities can uh, adapt into hospitality in in the future. Obviously sure, it's. A lot of this is still all all very speculative. Mm. They're all white white paper projects. Yes, um, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I'm keen to see and keen to learn more how how we can how this sort of little pocket will evolve in the next five ten years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's exciting because I'm talking to people about that as well. So I'm glad to hear that such an acclaimed yeah. uh, architect as yourself is talking about it too. So it's it, good. It, it, <laughs> um, look, look. There are some positives that and some negatives that you can take out of it. And of course, there's, there's some. Uh, there'll be groups that are very skeptical about about how it can adapt itself, uh, and and people are still hung up about goggles, 
yeah i guess reality or or the engagement if you can't smell or touch or taste i mean there are limitations to 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 what metaverse can do but i don't think metaverse can resolve everything i think it is there to as a bridge between real time and virtual virtual reality yeah for sure it's it's there to to help uh, elevate but it's it will not problem solve everything for you Ed, thanks so much for your time today. No, it's been really, welcome. really, yeah. really, really exciting to talk yeah. to you, um, especially as you know, this is one of the best architecture firms uh, in Melbourne, uh, if not Australia. So I really appreciate your time. I know that you're a very busy man. What's the best way that people can find out more about Architects Eat and contact yourself as well? Yeah, I think I think the easiest way is to jump on, on Instagram and look at our daily um, or our weekly um, posts. Uh, you can learn a, a lot about that versus looking at a website website for me is, is a very static uh, uh, way of communication uh, social media and our LinkedIn profiles and we're happy to have a, a cup of coffee and chat yeah. absolutely thanks so much Ed I really appreciate your time you're welcome <laughs> thanks again for tuning into another episode of Principle of Hospitality I hope you really enjoyed that episode especially as we talk about design I know a lot of people would have got a lot out of that especially as they're thinking about their new venues in 2022-2023. If you don't know us at Poe, well, you should. Uh, Sash, my co-founder, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principledesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting to anything to do with systems and processes and people to make your business run even more smoothly in the world of hospitality. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Mr. Yum for supporting another episode for this season. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know, but have you seen Mr. Yum split and pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. It really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr. Yum Split and Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group, and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum Split and Pay is the better way to pay. And it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com.